0: Welcome to School for the Dogs podcast. This week's episode of School for the Dogs podcast is sponsored by Sanebox, the email service that is designed to make dealing with email a breeze so you can spend more time training your dog and less time getting through your inbox. Sanebox gives you a powerful set of email tools that can work in just about any email client. I think of it like artificial intelligence for my inbox. It automatically sorts my email for me. It defers my email that's not important to a more convenient time. And I pretty much can't imagine using email without it at this point. Check it out for yourself and get a $15 coupon plus two weeks free when you sign up at schoolforthedogs.com slash sane. So today I am interviewing a groomer. Her name is... Annie, like me, uh, although she spells it uh, A N I, where I spell mine the more the more normal, boring way. Um, and Annie is an in-home groomer in New York City. She goes to people's houses. I'm really interested in in-home grooming. This concept of of a groomer who comes to you for a variety of reasons, uh, some of which we will get into in this episode. Um, But the main reason is I think it can really be the most dog friendly way to have your dog groomed. I think a lot of dogs get stressed out going to the groomer and you don't know exactly what's happening to them at the groomer. And the longer that I do dog training professionally, the more respect I have for groomers who really take the time to be thoughtful about how they're handling dogs during grooming and how the dogs are responding. You know, I used to think about a groomer kind of the same way that I think about, like, a shoe repair person. Like, I just would bring my dog in, kind of like I bring my messed up shoes in, and then they would fix the dog, like they fix the shoes, and I would pick them up and... (laughs) and all would be well, and I didn't really need to know about what went on in the interim period. But the fact is that grooming can be really traumatic for a lot of dogs. So I give a lot of credit to groomers who not only um, put in a lot of time and effort to acclimate dogs to the grooming process, um, but also who are willing to be transparent about it. And if you have a dog groomer coming to your house, whether or not you're actually involved in the grooming process, you can at least be there to make sure that your dog is feeling comfortable. And if your dog isn't comfortable, the good news is grooming is usually not something that has to be rushed. Uh, it's something that can be done over um, a period of time, whether that means a groomer showing things that you can do to help your dog get better or feel better about grooming or having the groomer come again but uh it doesn't have to be a a one one stop process and uh at school for the dogs we are encouraging our owners our dog owners from the time the dogs are puppies really it's something that we We try to drive home in puppy kindergarten to think about husbandry as part of training, to think about how you can make your dog feel comfortable around the equipment you're gonna need to use with them or other people are gonna need to use with them from a very early point, and to get them used to being handled. Uh, I think it's a really, really big favor that we can do to our dogs. So high five to all the in-home groomers out there. Uh, I would love to share information about good in-home groomers throughout the country uh, with my listeners. So if you have an in-home groomer that you recommend, please go to our Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash group slash School for the Dogs, and share the info there. Or you can go ahead and... Um, send me a direct message on instagram and i would love to try and compile some kind of list uh luxury groomer is annie corliss's company uh there are a few other in-home groomers in new york city that i know of and i will link to them in the show notes um but uh, i am excited to share this little peek into the groomer's life
1: so my name is Annie Corliss and I'm the founder of Luxury Groomer, which is a luxury house call dog grooming business in the Manhattan area.
0: And how long have you been doing grooming? Uh, I
1: don't want to eat myself, but we're coming up on a good 20 years. 20 years.
0: So how did you first start getting into grooming as a business?
1: As a business? Well, I started grooming when I was younger after working at vet clinics you know, I started in kennel work, and then as a vet assistant, and uh, when deciding whether or not to become a tech or a groomer, um, I found out about grooming school and gave that a shot, and after three years I actually opened a salon in St. Louis, where I'm originally from, and I had that for five years, and then I moved to New York and started doing house call, because here um, I ended up liking that a lot better. When was that? Uh, I moved here in 2010 and I worked uh, for some salons around the area for a while. Got to know the industry, got to work with some really incredible people, and founded Luxury Groomers. Started doing some house call on the side in probably 2013. Uh, We got our LLC in say probably 2014, Um, and been doing that solo ever since. So tell me a little bit
0: about the process of training to become a groomer because I think it's something that. A lot of people don't know don't know a lot about and I I understand it it involves quite quite a bit of an education is that right?
1: It does so it can happen and it's a really multifaceted thing I think like anything you do with your hands where for one you never stop learning Uh, but you can start two different ways you can either start in a grooming school and take that they generally last 12 weeks or so sometimes there's more advanced schools that you can go to for some further education. But you start either in a grooming school or you start as a bather somewhere, um, an assistant, and then just hope that they kind of teach you a little on the side as you go. A lot of people really do both. You kind of come out of grooming school still needing a lot of education, so you'll then hopefully get to work in a salon with some more experienced people and then kind of apprentice for a long time. Similar to hairdressers, but the schooling, our start-off schooling is a lot shorter than, say, um, people that do human hair, because I think they go to school for a year, maybe two, before that apprenticeship. So we start off, you know, learning the very, very basics in a grooming school. And everything else after that is self-education, because there really is no um, requirements as far as state or federal, uh, on dog groomers. So it's up to you to learn from either your bosses or doing your own self-education. There's seminars and things. And of course, nowadays with the internet, there's tons of resources, but it is a hands-on thing. You really got to get your hands on dogs and be around people that, uh, do really great work. And there's multiple different ways to do that. Um, but it's just a lot of, you gotta, you gotta go for it yourself and and do a lot of self-education.
0: I mean, there's so many different kinds of breeds that have specific cuts, and you have to learn
1: how to deal with each of those. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. And then, of course, within that, you know, it's when you're doing, uh, if you're not doing show haircuts, it's about what the customer wants. So you kind of learn how to. Just like people that do human hair, you learn how to listen to people and work with their particular dog's particular coat or particular personality, and that's why, in my opinion, it's one of those that takes a really long time to get really good at, and at the end of the day, you never stop learning. That's the biggest thing.
0: Now, I think in-home grooming, is a, there's a real need for it for a variety of reasons, um, but I'm curious what appeals to you about going into people's homes rather than having uh, dogs go to a facility?
1: Well, they just, I think at the end of the day, they're always more comfortable in their own space. And so for me as a groomer, what I realized was instead of, from my experience, instead of being in a salon where you might be in a room full of dogs that may be barking or this and that, and you kind of have to do a certain amount of dogs a day to kind of pay the rent and pay you know, your commission and pay, you know, all that stuff. This is a lot more one-on-one, more intimate experience for the groomer and for the dog. It's just a chill overall, you know, versus a salon. Even if it's a really, really relaxed salon, you do have to do a certain amount of volume and there are a certain amount of dogs going in and out of the environment and the phone is ringing and the door is going off and, you know, that kind of thing. And this is just so much more quiet and one-on-one and relaxed and it really...
0: You know, it makes me relax, it
1: makes the animal relaxed, and it's just, after doing this for so long, it's nice to, to be relaxed instead of such a kind of fast and furious environment.
0: Right, and also it seems to me like it must be nice that people can stick around while their dog is getting groomed, which is usually not an option if you're bringing your dog to a facility, right?
1: Yeah, and it's not an option at a facility. Well, there's the ones that have the, the uh, windows where you can uh, generally look in, but usually the whole reason that you're not allowed to stick around is for safety. So for even an in-home, we totally allow you to stick around, but we kind of have our boundaries because it's about we're working with sharp instruments and anything that you say or do or move, the dog's going to want to see what mom is doing or dad is doing or, or whatever's going on, and that's going to make them flinch and twitch and those little things, and we need them to stay as still as possible while doing hands, scissor work near sensitive areas and things like that. But you are allowed to be in the room. You just have to sit still and, and be quiet and that sort of thing. So, yeah, and then, of course, people have nanny cans and things like that if they're not home, but they're totally able to see what's going on throughout the whole process, of course.
0: Yeah, I mean, it seems to me like dog grooming, dogs could get really stressed out in grooming situations if they're dropped off somewhere. I mean, first of all, they're being handled by someone they don't necessarily know. They're being handled in ways that might be totally new. Most people don't do training specifically to uh, condition their dog to feel good about um, being bathed and being buzzed, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so then on top of that being, you know, brought into a, a facility and put into, a, a a cage, seems like a whole lot of stress. It's amazing. I, I'm always amazed with how well my dog does, <laughs> does with it. Cause I think he must not even, you know, I guess at this point he figures I'm going to come pick him up, but. A lot of dogs might think like, I'm being left forever.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, totally across the board. I mean, there's some dogs that can't wait to get to the groom shop, and because I've worked in both, you know, and it was always lovely to see the dogs that are running in the front door and they're really excited, because some of them, I guess, otherwise would just be sitting at home sleeping or whatever, so attention is attention, and there's maybe other dogs there. Maybe they want to play with the other dog. You know, there's some dogs that enjoy it. I don't know too many that actually enjoy the bath. They just put up with it. But you get a few of them that will jump in the tub and this and that uh, and are perfectly fine going to a groom shop, and they sleep most of the time they're there and this and that. Then there's the others that don't do well just in an environment that's not, you know, known to them or even just smelling a bunch of other dogs or hearing too many noises. It's just like people. You have some that are a little more anxious. And you have some that are wild and fun and all that stuff. So there's always going to be a place for physical groom shops not only that but there's things that we can't always do in the home safely um but there's definitely a spot for house call as well there's dogs that are are night and day difference and how they can get groomed at home and they were sort of ungroomable in a groom shop because the stress level was just too high it also works out well for dogs with certain medical issues like um uh, when they have a tendency towards seizures which can happen out of excitement whether good excitement or bad excitement um, they, a groom shop can trigger that and then you have a dog that might seize whereas at home they might not get so wound up and even if they do get wound up they seem to come down from it a lot quicker because it's not so long it's not such a long process you know sometimes you have to drop them off at the shop or they're at least a couple of hours um where usually in home is pretty quick um, depending on the groomer. Our groomers run between uh, an hour and a half to two hours for a small dog haircut. Usually the minimum at a groom shop is three hours. It just depends on how they run. But even if they're walking there, then they're walking home and they're, there's so much excitement that they seem to kind of stay wound up for a little bit longer. So if they do have a medical issue, um, that comes into play a little bit. But, you know, I come from Missouri, which is home of the puppy mills, unfortunately, which also means it's home of the rescues. So, I have a lot of experience working with rescue animals as well, and this has been a big benefit to see how different it is to groom them inside their home, Um, even if they're still in foster care. They just kind of take to being handled a little easier when there's not these other sensory factors going on, you
0: know? Do you you find that people have different... uh... Do you find that people have different needs or desires as far as having their dogs groomed in New York City versus there?
1: I think it just depends on the individual. It's because dogs are always, it's about how they fit into your lifestyle, right? So that's the same in New York as well, um, where it's, you know, do you like your dog to be able to swim all summer and uh, play in the woods? then you'd probably get them groomed this amount of time and get them hair cut they you don't know, get their hair cut like this. But do you like them to, you know, look really nice and be clean all the time, then you probably get them groomed this often and they look like this. Yeah. You know. So it's just up to the individual for sure.
0: I mean I, I I guess people would have the assumption that because it's New York City and here you're called, you know, luxury that that people want like fruity kind of haircuts for their dogs here uh as opposed to i don't know just like cut them short even being but would you say that's not
1: true i would say overall yes people maintain their dogs a little more here but it's for a myriad of reasons and one of them can I be asked with you is just people having the resources here to have the luxury of keeping a dog clean because clean in new york city is the a number one Uh, concern because we're talking about the streets of New York, right? And the dog's walking on the streets or maybe going to daycare. Um, So it's not like, say, in suburbia in Missouri where they're just letting them out into the yard and when they say they're dirty, it's just some physical dirt. In New York, it's like street filth, right? So so if people have the means and have the the luxury to be able to keep their dog clean, that's usually the first and foremost concern that I hear. So if I have once-a-week clients or twice-a-week clients, it's not because – of you know some uh, reason that they want it to look like a show dog it's usually because they want it clean um and then beyond that i would say it's 50 50 if i do fruity haircuts i would say honestly the style right now is not too fruity like the most popular breed coming up right now is the labradoodles and everyone tells me please don't make it look like a poodle so i think actually kind of a shaggy natural is what's popular right now but that still takes quite a bit of maintenance
0: Um, what are your prices like compared to bringing a dog to a facility in New York City?
1: So the facilities vary quite a bit in prices as well, but I would say that we're at least, we're probably definitely more expensive, uh, because in a salon they do say, you know, depending on the groomer, six to 10 dogs a day, where we do like three to four because we're commuting and we're just doing one-on-one. So, also in a salon, you might have, you know, one dog in um, the dryer or with a bather and while you're trimming another one, so you have that kind of uh, ability to do more than one at once, but, you know, we're coming just to you and doing your dog straight through, um, so it cuts down. So, of course, it costs a little bit more, and of course, we make sure to hire only the absolute most qualified groomers because they're one-on-one inside your house, so they have to be fully, fully trained and at the top of you know, highest quality, so that they can be alone without a manager, or you know, they're not still apprenticing or anything like that. So yeah, I would say I would say we're more, but I would say it's fair.
0: Uh, can you talk numbers, or are you not comfortable doing that?
1: Oh, yeah. So our small dog haircuts start at two hundred, and I would say a salon, if you're uptown, is probably around one thirty or forty, whereas downtown can be as low as $60, sixty, seventy five dollars the last i heard so it just kind of varies and you bring all your own equipment then right yeah so normally all we require from um the homeowner would be a towel that's just you know we can't carry a bag of towels around with us but everything else we bring unless they have a little bit larger dog um and then there might be some other things that we would need from them in the house that we just can't carry around town with us but we do mostly small dogs we just groom them in the kitchen sink and groom them on the adjacent countertop and just kind of clean up after we're done and it's easy peasy.
0: I've seen these like mobile grooming um,
1: shops. Uh, Do those exist in New York? They do. There's a couple of vans I've seen. Um, I think there's a, there's one I heard about recently that's downtown. I've seen at least one or two uptown as well, which I'm surprised because I don't know how on earth they've worked that out (laughs) with the, the tickets and the driving. But that was, that's where you bring the dog inside the van and they've got kind of a whole mini groom shop in there
0: what do you do about dogs who are really stressed out about grooming do you ever work with trainers to try and uh reduce the stress have you ever had a situation where you've just had to say you know i think this dog can't handle this right now
1: yeah of course it's, it's happened in the past like i said you know with my former of working with a lot of rescues, i kind of have a soft spot for that um, But the first thing that's first is a lot of times the trainer will recommend they get done at home. Um, And then you just work with them from there. You just take it really, really slow and easy, and you don't push anything. And each one of them is a little different. But a lot of them just need you to go slow and take your time. And I think that especially with house call, we have the most ability to do that versus a salon. Sometimes in a salon you don't have the extra time to take because you've got – other dogs coming in, you've got the schedule, they've got to be in, they've got to be out. Sometimes we have that little more space and time to give them space uh, to be relaxed, you know, and and take it slow. And sometimes, yeah, there's there's been instances where you can't fully finish a groom, but it's just because you can't force everything, but you can maybe come back and finish it later, and then maybe next time you get a little further done, you get a little further done. The biggest thing is just not to force anything.
0: Is there anything you think people can do to keep up grooming or should maybe be doing a better job of in general to keep up grooming between having a professional groomer work with their
1: dog? Well, I feel like groomers might as well be like dentists where every groomer wants to say brush and comb your dog in between, you know, like brush and floss. But it's not realistic for a lot of people. We have some people that are great at it, and, you know, we call those unicorn people that we kind of, dogs perfectly brushed and combed out. More often than that, people – may attempt it, and they think they do a good job brushing, but as not a professional, they don't realize that they haven't gotten all the way down to the skin, and then we still have to say, I'm so sorry, your dog's matted. Um, So the biggest advice I give people is if you don't think you're a professional with brushing and combing your dog, then just keep it at a haircut that's at a maintenance level that matches your lifestyle, and if you want, a lot of people like to bathe their dogs in between. And water actually causes and tightens uh, mats and knots. So the biggest advice I can give people is if you just can't go without bathing your own dog in between, then I suggest keeping it short because if you do bathe it without brushing it properly, your groomer will tell you your dog is matted and you end up in the back and forth about either dematting or shaving and all that other stuff. Uh, we're not making it up <laughs> if they get in the water and it's not brushed properly, especially these curly breeds like the doodles that are so incredibly popular right now, Um, even just one time in a good rainstorm or in a pool or in a bathtub if they've got enough hair can mean that they have to be almost shaved the next time. So I would say the best thing people can do is just listen to the groomer and come up with a haircut that matches their lifestyle realistically, you know. If you're not going to brush your dog, fine, totally fine. Just keep it on the shorter side so you don't have to worry about it, you know.
0: So do you think most dogs then don't need regular baths, even if they're, you know, regardless of the kind of hair and fur that they have?
1: Oh, I think it totally depends on the lifestyle. It depends, you know, how dirty your dogs get and how much you feel they need to be bathed. It's just if you feel it needs to be bathed once a week, but you want to keep three inches of hair on it, but not brush it, then you definitely need to call your groomer to come over once a week and do that. <laughs> or... You need to just keep it short so you can throw it in the tub once a week and not worry about it. And this time, you know, what's popular, too, is going to the beach and going to the swimming pools. So a lot of people can have maybe a summer haircut that works for the family during the summer. And then you can grow it out and have a little longer and shaggier in the winter and do it that way
0: the condition conditioner isn't going to help or <laughs> some kind
1: of, no, to be honest with you, it's a technique. And honestly, it's, it's harder than it looks and it sounds silly. It's harder than it looks. I've been trying to train clients to brush dogs for 20 years. And like I said, it's, most people just don't do it properly. Um, but in fairness, You know, When we train even a bather, they can spend a few months before they hand me a dog that's properly brushed out, and they're doing it all day for a living. So it is much harder than it looks, especially with these uh, curly-haired breeds or these thicker-coated breeds. So I'm not faulting people at all. They generally usually give it a good shot and, and don't realize that it hasn't been done properly. Unfortunately, that matting all happens down by the skin where they've missed it. And if they don't get that, then it doesn't matter what part was brushed out or not the dog might have to be shaved or de-matted, and we don't do a lot of de-matting at Luxury Groomer just for ethical reasons, so usually it would be a matter of saying, you know, it's got to go short. Uh, So that's the biggest advice I can give people is if you're going to have it get wet often without having a professional in-between to brush it, I would keep it on the shorter side, but... The groomer can always assess that with the customer. There's dogs that have hair that are totally fine. They don't mat up as easily. They're, you know, Some of the terrier breeds can do basically whatever they want and stop by the groomer every number of months and just be fine. So it just depends on that dog. I would just say you know, consult with your groomer and come up with that maintenance schedule that works best for the lifestyle, for the dog, and for your aesthetics.
0: Do you have a specific kind of brush that you like?
1: I mean, I'm kind of a classic slicker brush person.
0: What's um, a slicker
1: brush? Slicker brush is the one that has the little metal tines that look kind of crookedy and they look kind of torturous, but they're actually not. <laughs> um, they have that little bend in them. Um, but groomers vary differently on their tools, but I would say that's a really classic tool, and that's one that I recommend to clients. And the big The other tool that I recommend super highly is a comb. You want to get a slicker brush and you want to get a comb because the comb is what lets you get down by the skin and find out if you actually have them all the way brushed out. Uh, If you use a brush without a comb, you're just not doing it right. (laughs) So you want to use that comb and get all the way down to the skin and see if you can get it all the way out. That's how you'll know. And usually the hardest places to brush are the most important to get to. So maybe the armpits and the chest and the belly and the insides of the legs, wherever they might wear a harness that rubs on their hair is definitely important to get to. A lot of people tend to kind of just kind of go down the back like petting a cat and then everything else is a mess. So you'll you know want to really get in there. And one of the suggestions I have for trying to brush at home is, Uh, do like we do so if we come to your house and we put the dog on a counter and say okay when you got up on this counter now it's time to be groomed and it's um, you know down to business time then do that you know put your dog on the counter or put it somewhere raised that the animal knows when I'm up here this is when we get down to business and sometimes it's a lot easier because I know that they're Uh, sometimes kind of combative and wiggly and all that stuff um, for maybe mom and dad at home, whereas the groomer comes and they're just totally fine. Uh, And a lot of it has to do with that. They've never been asked to really do this before and behave for this. So sometimes putting them up in a certain area that lets them know when we're here, we're, you know, getting down to business and this is what we're doing. Sometimes they behave a lot better.
0: That makes sense. What's that kind of brush? I suddenly forget what it's called. That Kind of like a rape like brush with very, very fine uh, teeth. Do you know what I'm talking about? And just gets off a ton of hair.
1: Um, oh, like the the, um, the brand name that's most popular is the Furminator. Ah,
0: that's it, the Furminator. What What are your feelings mm-hmm. about the Furminator? That thing gets gets tons off, huh?
1: Yeah, so that would just be about using it on the correct breed, right? So you're not going to use a Furminator on uh, a Yorkshire Terrier or a Shih Tzu. You're going to want to use it on a dog that sheds. Um, and you want to be gentle with those because they do have a tendency to, if, you, if you're if you rough enough, they can cut the skin. So I do tell people to kind of let the brush do the work. Don't put too much pressure uh, but you would use that on something like a Labrador or even gently on, say, a French Bulldog, something that kind of sheds that little bit of hair. Uh, but you wouldn't use it on a dog that just has long hair, you know, no poodles, no Yorkies, no Bichons. You wouldn't use it on that kind of hair. But, yeah, they definitely work.
0: Um, and I groom my dog myself uh, often. I just kind mm-hmm. of buzz him down as as short as possible because – he does like to swim, and we travel a lot, and um, and I figure he kind of looks cute no matter what. So if I
1: could just mm-hmm.
0: get his hair real low, but so I wonder, do you? What kind of equipment do you suggest to someone like me who um, is just looking to to get a good a good shave down? Does it? Can you get like a cheap buzzer, Does it make a difference if you get a more expensive one? What's your opinion on that?
1: Uh, I would say definitely go more expensive. I mean, I'm always nervous to tell anybody to groom their dog at home, Uh, but if you're going to do it and I have to give you (laughs) recommendations, then I would say definitely invest in something that's considered professional, because I've seen a lot of those, um, even made by the professional company, so say Andy's, for instance, comes out with a home grooming set, and I think because they're so cheap and the blades are a little weird and the attachments that go on to them, I actually find them quite dangerous. So I think you'd be better to get a professional clipper with a professional blade like a groomer would use and, you know, you can have somebody advise you on what blade they would use for your dog and maybe watch a little tutorial and have them describe how to do it. But those ones they sell in stores are really, really strange and the most time I've seen people use them, including myself before I became a groomer, uh, they're really um really high instance of cutting the dog's skin. So even though it's going to cost a little more, if you're going to do it, I would definitely get the, the more professional equipment. It would be a lot safer.
0: And what about the whole uh, trend of, what's it called, like creative grooming? Um, mm-hmm. Where do, Where do you fall on that? And actually maybe you can explain a little bit what that is to the uninitiated.
1: Sure. So what creative grooming is, is it's when a groomer does really interesting cuts on the dog. It usually involves a lot of hair dyeing. Um, they can sculpt their hair into crazy fun shapes or story themes. Uh, they also, what's popular now or gaining popularity is using even a little bit of uh, sea crystals and, de- you know, decor. In their hair and uh, lots of really fun funky braids even involving some hair curling and straightening uh, and things like that I think creative grooming is super cool Uh, I know a lot of people it makes them really uncomfortable to look at a dog that has had a lot of dye put on it and had these really crazy cuts because they're immediately thinking what did the dog have to go through to have this done but People do it on dogs that tolerate it, meaning they actually enjoy being handled for that amount of time. They sit on the table. They're usually falling asleep. Um, And, you know, if anyone remembers being a little girl and having someone play with your hair, they're usually the dogs that feel like that about it. And as far as the dye goes, which is a big concern uh, for a lot of people, the dye is all super-duper animal-safe. It's like the Crayola stuff. Uh, A lot of it washes out. Some of it takes a few weeks to wash out, but it's all, you know vegan, toxic-free, animal-safe dyes that is no different than putting shampoo on a dog and and letting it sit for 10 minutes. That's the only process it goes through. There's no crazy chemicals. There's nothing uh, like that about it. So I think it's fun. I think groomers have a lot of fun with it. They can really bond with these dogs, and they do some really fun, funky stuff nowadays.
0: Have you done any of, of that kind of work?
1: When I first started, I got interested in it and was playing with it a little bit and had some fun with it. But now, especially that I'm doing house call, I don't have anyone really asking for it, so I haven't had an opportunity to play with it. But, of course, I follow all these people that do it on uh, Instagram because it's so fun to see. It would be kind of messy in someone's home, but I would love it if somebody asked me to. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: maybe maybe this year for Halloween we can have you and do some, do some of that. Absolutely. I think what's neat about it is um, I went to um, – in Hers- Hershey, uh, Pennsylvania, every year they have a big grooming conference, uh, mm-hmm. and I went to one once where they had uh, they had people doing the creative grooming, and and um, I thought it was sort of an interesting creative outlet. And I it, I did it did seem to me like the dogs didn't seem to mind it at all. And in fact, it seemed to me like maybe they, or I'm sure a lot of them uh, enjoyed the attention they were getting from looking, you know, so interesting. But, but also, um, I find a lot of times when people put their dogs in costumes, I think the, the, the dogs are actually really stressed out being, um, being put in costumes that are, can be prohibitive and uncomfortable and, and strange. Whereas with the creative grooming, they're, they are only wearing their natural stuff
1: so, mm-hmm.
0: I think it's kind of like for Halloween or something. It's sort of an interesting. It could. I wonder if it could catch on as a uh, as a way to celebrate those holidays and do something fun with your dog. That's not forcing
1: them to wear a costume that they're uncomfortable with. Perhaps. It could. It could. I mean, creative grooming is usually quite involved process. So it does depend on whether the dog's going to tolerate it. But there are things out there now like uh, little stencils that you can use those Crayola blow pens on and at least just give them a little stencil maybe on their rear or something like that that's kind of cute. Uh, There's simpler things as well or you can even just put a really crazy bandana on them or whatnot. But like what you saw in Hershey takes weeks and weeks of preparation and then hours of grooming in a moment. So, you know, for the average average dog, that's probably not going to happen. Uh, and if you look at it, too, in the, the creative grooming uh, for the dogs in Hershey, most of those are poodle breeds, uh, and poodle breeds are working dogs. So they do like doing a job, which in that case is standing there and, you know, behaving and, and getting their, their body worked on and then walking around and showing everybody Uh, But they take really well to it. They're eager to please. They're working breeds, So it may not seem like the job they were meant to do, but that's part of why sometimes they take so well to that sort of thing is they're still doing a job. So, in fact, it is working their mind because even just standing there and focusing on standing there and being still and being good is working their mind. And so they do They do actually enjoy that. And then they walk around. They don't necessarily know, I think, that they look any different, but they are getting a lot of reactions from people after that. And they just feel really proud of themselves after that.
0: So one of my goals with this podcast is to encourage people to think about different jobs that they could do, Uh, encourage people who love dogs to think about different jobs that they could do beyond uh, perhaps being a vet. Which I think is, you know, any kid who's interested in in pets, that's usually the the first thing anyone will say. Well, do you want to be a vet? Um, but of course, I see so many different kinds of fun, interesting things within the pet sector that might appeal to people. What would be your pitch to someone who's looking for a new career and uh, and has thought about grooming? How would you how would you sell it as? as a a job that uh, is is worth the the time and investment?
1: Sure, so for me, grooming combined a couple of things that I really, really love. You get to play with puppies all day, first and foremost. Um, Secondly, the creative element. You know, I, on the side, I play music, I do photography, so I tend towards a lot of creative things, and this gives you a lot of creativity. You are hand scissoring and sculpting each and every one of these animals, and, say, versus uh, a vet, even though groomers definitely have uh, more difficult dogs to work with, and you might end up with rescues or um, upset dog or whatever the case may be. Overall, the dogs are happy to be around you, you know, you're doing something relaxed and nice, uh, versus in the, the vet, they're usually there having something done that they're not so happy about, or you see a lot of kind of, you know, sad things. You're, I mean, you're in a medical facility. So for me, it was uh, one of those where I could have a job working around dogs that wasn't necessarily as sad as sometimes working in a vet clinic was, and involved a lot of the creativity and uh, is, you know, usually a relaxed environment. At least with I have with, with uh house call, it's a, a really relaxed environment. So for me, it, it's a, the best fit.
0: Interesting. And have you found it hard to to hire groomers? You have one, one employee. Is that right?
1: I have two right now, yeah. So um, it is hard to hire very, very qualified groomers. I think, especially with house call, like I had mentioned before, they have to really be uh, top level because in a groom shop you're still working around people, so you can still learn from other people, and there might be multiple levels of experience going on there. But everyone's, you know, there together. Whereas when you send someone solo into someone's home, they have to be fully, fully, fully top-level qualified because there's no one else there to learn from. So, um, I think that's harder to find, um, but I've been lucky enough to find some people that are of that level.
0: Is there like a, a Harvard of grooming schools, if someone's looking to, to get into it, that you would suggest that they go to?
1: There's some pretty serious schools over in Japan. They take it pretty seriously over there. There's some schools I would love to go to over there, even though I've been doing this so long. Um, but really what groomers do is...
0: How long are those kinds of programs?
1: Oh, I would have to see. I would have to see. I think they're broken up into different uh, levels, so you can choose how many levels you would take. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think they're you know years or anything like that. I think they're still in, in the weeks, but they're just um, supposedly really, really great grooming programs. Um, The things that groomers tend to do, though, is go to a lot of these uh, seminars and and continue self-education, and then they can actually get certifications uh, through independent companies that do, uh, you can get individual breed certifications, and then you can get your master groomer, so you've done uh, lots of certifications and lots of uh, paper tests and this and that. So again, these are all just things that groomers do for each other. None of this is required by any state or federal requirements. I'd actually like to see that changed personally. Um, but you can put yourself through these extra bits of education that can go on for your entire career. So it's, it just depends on how committed you get and how serious you get into self-education. For,
0: for someone who's just starting out uh, in New York, is there a place, or in the New York area, is there a place that you would suggest?
1: Uh, To be honest with you, I don't know much about the schools here. I heard about a couple of them, how they used to be years ago, but they're under different ownership, and to be honest, I just haven't heard either way, so I wouldn't be able to recommend that, Uh, but you can always still find those uh, groom shops that will take you on as a bather. Uh, I mean, I think any groom school is going to be sort of similar because I don't know any uh, here that are you know, very, very long programs. So I would sort of assume you're gonna learn about the same amount of stuff in the same amount of time. How long are so those just, how long are the programs usually? I have to look up to be sure, but a lot of them average around twelve weeks. Okay. So you just have to see if, if there's this 12 weeks or maybe 16 or maybe 8. I'm not really sure because I haven't looked into that in a long time. Um, so some people start with Ruby school and then go to apprentice, or some people go straight to trying to get a job as a bather and apprentice that way. I think either way is fine, to be honest with you. It's just about how much commitment you've put into your own education and the place that you've gotten into to apprentice. Because, of course, if you're in maybe a not-so-great shop, you're not going to learn a lot, you know.
0: So if someone wants to find you, what's the best way for them to get in touch?
1: Sure, just luxurygroomer.com, um, email info at luxurygroomer.com. Uh, you can also, a lot of people enjoy the Instagram, so you can find us on Instagram at luxurygroomer as well. Great.
0: Well, thank you so much. Anything that we didn't touch on that you that you want to mention?
1: Uh, just please keep the pets safe out there in this hot heat and hot asphalt. <laughs>
0: Yeah, what can people do about their dog's hot feet? Would you do you give suggestions
1: on that? Honestly, the best thing you can do is test it out yourself. If you can't hold the back of your hand on the asphalt for more than five seconds, you're going to burn your dog's paws. And uh, so, do you suggest shoes, or um... you could try shoes, or just make sure to that they don't go out in that kind of that kind of um, extreme heat situation you'll have to find you know where you can set them on grass or whatever but shoes shoes would be best if you can
0: thank you very much annie thank you our woof shout out today goes to a dog who lives right nearby school for the dogs's east 2nd street location his name is jimmy buckets this is a dog who has a, uh, a trademarked hairstyle. His owner keeps him in, I guess what you would call, a lion cut. He's a golden doodle with a huge mane. The rest of his hair is cut short, except for this uh, beautiful mane area. And uh, it's very cute. And he gets lots of attention. His owner says that people stop him on the street all the time and that he seems to really enjoy all the extra love he gets uh, from his do. You can find him on Instagram at Mr. Jimmy Buckets. And our fun dog fact of the day is that. Contrary to popular belief, there's no such thing as a non-shedding dog. All dogs shed. Some dogs just shed a lot less than other dogs. It's also untrue that some dogs have hair and some dogs have fur. Whatever you wanna call it, it's all the same thing. The thing is, every hair on your dog will eventually die and fall out and be replaced by a new hair, it's just that some dog breeds have hair that grows for a much longer period of time and to a longer, natural length before it dies and uh, gets shed. What's true is that dogs who have what we think of as hair, their hair sheds uh, less and has a growth pattern that's much more similar to our hair, human hair. Uh, than dogs who have what we tend to call fur. Hair goes through natural resting phases and growth phases, and some dogs, like humans, have hair that spends most of its time in a growth phase up until it grows to a certain length, Uh, whereas the types of dogs who we think of as having fur uh, are dogs who don't need regular grooming because their hair spends most of its time in a dormant phase, so it usually gets pushed out by a new hair while it's in a long-term phase of not growing and it also only grows to a certain length based on that dog's genetics so kind of interesting stuff Uh, i will share a link to more information about this in the show notes there's a great article in um, one of my favorite publications whole dog journal if uh, you're a dog nerd and you're not familiar with whole dog journal check it out This episode has been sponsored by SaneBox. SaneBox is this incredibly handy email tool that I've used for years to get on top of my email. I honestly don't really know how it works. It's kind of like magic, but basically you can train it to figure out what emails are important, what emails are junk, and what emails fall kind of in that middle gray area things that you will want to read, but you don't really need to deal with like right away. And uh, it'll categorize all those things in separate folders for you. I also have it set up so that it'll categorize all of my receipts into a separate folder, which is really handy. But basically, the end result is it just sort of like clears out the static, so that in the morning when I sit down at my computer to check my email, only the really important good stuff remains. If you want to check it out, you can get two weeks free plus a $15 coupon. Just sign up at schoolforthedogs.com/sane. Thanks so much for listening. You can support School for the Dogs podcast by telling your friends about it, leaving a review, or shopping in our online store. You can learn more about us and sign up to get lots of free training resources when you visit us online at schoolforthedogs.com.